Chris Waits, could you see that from your angle? All right, that's, we'd like to see that out of you next month. All right. Today we continue and actually finish up our five-week sermon series, Five Ways to Wreck Your Life. Uh, this series has taken us through five chapters of the story. It's taken us from the beginnings of the nation of Israel uh, with Solomon um, after, after his father, King David, um, and taking us all the way to the end of both Israel and Judah after the kingdoms had split apart. And uh, so far, uh, we've encountered four different pitfalls that the people of God fell into. Uh, today we're going to be looking at the fifth and final way to wreck your life. Worship yourself. Of all the books that have ever been written about Christianity, um, except those written by God himself and uh, Lutherans, the next best thing, right? Um, I think the best one out there, at least among the best, is C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity. Um, in that book, Lewis describes uh, in, in an entire chapter, he devotes an entire chapter to what he calls the greatest sin of all. And uh, I think we're getting a little feedback if we could uh, try to adjust that a little bit. Um, but Lewis describes what he considers to be the greatest sin of all, or you might say the worst sin of all, and here's what he has to say. There is one vice of which no man in the world is free, which everyone in the world loathes when he sees it in someone else, and of which hardly any people except Christians ever imagine they are guilty themselves. There is no fault which makes a man more unpopular, no fault of which we are more unconscious, unconscious of in ourselves. And the more we have it ourselves, the more we dislike it in others. The vice I am talking of is pride or self-conceit. And uh, for our purposes today, another way we might describe this particular sin is worshiping yourself. This is the sin that Jesus was condemning in that story that he told um, about the, the Pharisee and the tax collector who go to the temple. The Pharisee is quite full of himself, and the tax collector is the exact opposite. This is a story that, that Luke tells us Jesus told to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else. The moral of that story, Jesus says at the end, is this. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. In chapter 17 of the story, which we read this past week, uh, we see this maxim proved true in the examples of King Manasseh, and uh, the nation of Judah as a whole. Now Manasseh was perhaps uh, the most evil king Judah ever had. We're told that Manasseh did everything within his royal power to completely undo his father Hezekiah's reforms. Um, he, he tore down um, everything that Hezekiah had done and built up the altars of Baal once again, putting them even in the temple courts. He set up an Asherah pole, which was for the worship of a foreign goddess, inside the temple Itself, He worshipped the stars and he, he killed a lot of innocent people, uh, the most famous of which was Isaiah, which according to tradition, uh, Manasseh had him sawed in half. Even worse than that, Manasseh sacrificed his own son to the Phoenician god Molech. 
Now, how this was, would work is uh, Molech was, was the god of child sacrifice, among other things. And what you would do is you would build a fire at the bottom of, at the base of a statue, a metal statue of Molech. And as the flames crept higher and higher, and as the metal of the statue got, got as hot as it possibly could, you would take a little boy, and you would place that boy in the arms of the statue, and he would burn to death. This is what Manasseh did, descendant of David, king of Judah, idolatrous murderer of his own son. What would lead a man to do something so unthinkable, so downright evil? Pride. It was pride that led Manasseh astray, just as Solomon had loved himself more than the Lord when he worshipped foreign idols. Manasseh, too, becomes an example of of blatant self-worship. As we heard earlier, the Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they paid no attention. Like he was in the Burger King drive-thru or something, Manasseh wanted to have it his way. He had no need for God's input whatsoever. Consequently, we're told that Judah did even more evil than the nations that the Lord had destroyed before the Israelites. Now that's an absolutely astonishing statement. We're told that that Manasseh led his people to be even more evil than the wicked, immoral, pagan nations around them. And so God sent the, the commanders of the Assyrian army, his father Hezekiah's old foe, to take Manasseh captive, to put a hook in his nose and shackles on his arms and legs and drag him off to a foreign land. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. We see this play out tragically in the case of the nation of Judah as well. Especially in her later years, Judah was an example of obstinate pride. God showed incredible patience to his people, begging them time and again to repent, to turn away from their idols, and to return to him. He sent prophets to warn them of the utter destruction that they were bringing upon themselves. Prophets like Jeremiah, who said, If you do not listen... I will weep in secret because of your pride. My eyes will weep bitterly, overflowing with tears, because the Lord's flock will be taken captive. But like Manasseh, the people didn't listen to God, nor did their kings who came after Manasseh, kings like Zedekiah, who did evil in the eyes of the Lord his God and did not humble himself before Jeremiah the prophet, who spoke the word of the Lord. And so as we read this week, Jeremiah's prophecies of doom are fulfilled as Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon come in and destroy the city of Jerusalem, taking proud Judah into exile. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. I think this speaks volumes to us today in in the incredibly narcissistic culture in which we live. In Greek mythology, as you might know, Narcissus... uh, fell in love with his own reflection in a pool, and he ended up dying there because he simply couldn't leave. Our culture's self-worship is killing us, too. We live in a culture of, of moral relativism where we pridefully choose our own rights and wrongs. This is the opposite of repentance, because how can you repent of anything if you never think you're wrong? 
In America, especially, we celebrate our rugged individualism, our self-sufficiency, boastfully proclaiming that we don't need anybody but ourselves. We even celebrate narcissism itself, idolizing people who are in love with themselves. Now, you've probably all seen this clip uh, after the NFC Championship game with uh, our beloved Richard Sherman. Final play, take me through it. Well, I'm the best corner in the game. When you try me with a sorry receiver like Crabtree, that's the result you're going to get. Don't you ever talk about me. Who was talking about you? Crabtree, don't you open your mouth about the best. Or you're going to shut it for you real quick. L.O.B. All right, before... And Joe, back over to you. I like how they pan to one of the most humble guys in the NFL, Russell Wilson, during that interview. But, uh, yeah, Richard Sherman, is, it's pretty full of himself. Take uh, Joe Namath, the gentleman pictured before you in the absolutely ridiculous coat. Um, this is from, from this year's Super Bowl, the coin toss. Uh, Joe Namath has become famous for a number of things, but one of those is by saying, I can't wait until tomorrow because I get better looking every day. Now, lest we think ourselves uh, too far above Richard Sherman or Broadway Joe, let's examine our own lives for a second. Now, you don't have to raise your hands, but how many of you have ever posted a selfie? I read an article this past week that talked about the selfie syndrome, um, how social media is making us narcissistic, encouraging things like unilateral listening where we only care about what we have to say. Encouraging us to be preoccupied with ourselves, to, to feel that we're above the rules. As a result, we, we won't take criticism from anybody, we refuse to take responsibility, and we're quick to anger. This article cited studies, one of them was from U of M actually, uh, that have shown that the more you tweet or update your Facebook status or, or post pictures of yourself on Instagram, glorify yourself with, with quotes or mottos, the more narcissistic you probably are. Now that's kind of common sense perhaps. But the overall conclusion was that Facebook and Twitter, social media in general, encourages people, especially younger people, to over-evaluate the importance of their own opinions. And the article closes by asking, is narcissism an inevitable reaction to our social culture? What do you think? I'd encourage you to consider that a little bit and to especially examine your own life, uh, particularly in, in areas like social media. Have you created a world for yourself in which your opinion is the one that matters most, or perhaps the one, the only one that matters at all? I think all of us, with our human nature, our sinful human nature, allow pride to creep in all too often. And as C.S. Lewis says in that chapter, Pride is spiritual cancer. It eats up the very possibility of love or contentment or even common sense. Remember that Jesus sees everything you post, uh, regardless of how carefully you manage your privacy settings. In fact, he sees into your heart. Now, on the one hand, that's very, very bad news because we all know how, how dark and, and frightening the deepest corners of our heart can be. But on the other hand, it's incredibly good news because God gives us new, clean hearts. There's perhaps no better example of this than Manasseh, an example of blatant self-worship. Through God's grace and mercy, Manasseh becomes 
an example of true repentance. We read, In his distress he sought the favor of the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. As a result, wicked, idolatrous, murderous, prideful Manasseh comes to know God and his kingdom is restored. He who humbles himself will be exalted. Going back to C.S. Lewis, In God, you come up against something which is, in every respect, immeasurably superior to yourself. Unless you know God as that, and therefore know yourself as nothing in comparison, you do not know God at all. As long as you are proud, you cannot know God. Manasseh humbles himself and then knows that the Lord is God. This is why we've, we pretty often in our worship services and hopefully very often in our own personal lives come before God and tell him, I am a poor, miserable sinner, <laughs> deserving nothing, Lord, but your anger and your wrath. This is why we humble ourselves so that God may exalt us by restoring us through the blood of Jesus, his son, so that God might show us mercy when we repent of our sins when we let him trample all over our pride and in the process come to truly know him. This is what Manasseh experienced and Judah as well. Even as they suffer through the horrors of war and exile, Judah goes from being an example of obstinate pride to an example of the infinite mercy of God. Through Ezekiel, God says to them, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And through Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, God gives good news of great joy. I will give them a heart to know me that I am the Lord. They will be my people and I will be their God, for they will return to me with all their heart. And in his great mercy, God returns humble Judah home from exile. We'll be reading about in the next couple about that in the next couple of chapters of the story. He who humbles himself will be exalted. And so we worship the Lord with humble hearts and humble lives. If I can quote C.S. Lewis one last time. The real test of being in the presence of God is that you either forget about yourself altogether or see yourself as a small, dirty object. It is better to forget about yourself altogether. In other words, worship God. Don't worship yourself. In our second reading today, Paul talked about what this looks like. He told us there, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Then he shares with us what many scholars believe is the first Christian hymn, a hymn that sings of the humility of our Savior, a Savior who, though being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Instead, he emptied himself, he made himself nothing. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the highest name, 
And now every knee will bow and every tongue confess him Lord. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself, as Christ did, will be exalted. What a beautiful fulfillment of this saying we have in the very one who spoke it. The one who humbly left heaven's glories to become a man. The one who came not to be served, but to serve, to give his life for us. The one who, on the night before his death, took some time to wash his disciples' feet. Feet that he knew would flee away from him in terror in the garden just a few hours later. Yet despite the unworthiness of the disciples to receive this washing by hands that would be pierced by nails in the morning, still, Jesus fills his basin and rinses away their filth. Then he humbly gives his life for them and for us. And now he has been exalted to the right hand of the throne of God. And the incredible thing is that even today, Jesus still fills basins with water and with his pierced hands washes away the sin of us unworthy disciples in baptism. There at the font, he gave us a new heart. He put his spirit into us, removing from us our prideful, sin-encrusted heart of stone and giving us a heart of flesh. And so by the mercy of God, like Manasseh, like Judah, we've been made new. As we go forth today from this place of worship, we return to a world that would have us believe that if you want to be exalted, you best do it yourself. We live every day in a world that worships itself and encourages you to do the same. But we will follow the example of our humble Savior. We will heed the words of Peter when he urges us to be humbled under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. After all, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be, what? Exalted. In Jesus' name, amen.